WKUF LP, Flint, Michigan. Thank God it's Friday. Start your weekends off right with the Gaza Strip. Every Friday, 3.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. On WKUF LP, Flint, 94.3 FM, Flint's ultimate jukebox. When the strip's on, uh uh-huh, you better keep it locked. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with the man who can make every day Friday, Nick. Well, good morning, sir. I mean, I guess I could. I hate deep fryers, so we'll go with that, I guess. (laughs) I even wrote it like, you know, cooking, frying. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta love those kinds of things. Anyways, welcome back. It's an us thing again. It's been a long time since it's been an us thing. It has been way too long. This uh, this start of the season has not been kind to us. Your your job is keeping you super busy, and I have got five hundred things going on all the time. So it's 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 a rare occasion, but we're here. Well, we've had some good episodes, even though there's times that I can't coordinate with you. The one with curated culture, Rob Bogan, and starting sustainability, Kaylin has been. Though that was another really cool episode to be able to do. But you're right. We dropped off the face of the planet. I put out an apology episode, if you will, a couple weeks ago. And now we're going to try to get back on some kind of standard cadence, just not nearly as much as it used to be, at least for now. I can tell everybody I apologize. This is all based on me. I hit a wall like you wouldn't believe. Big man, very fast, wall, and I just shut it down. Far too many things I was trying to accomplish, got exhausted, and took a time out. Took a timeout and uh, probably better ways of doing it. I probably could have announced a timeout, but I just took a timeout. Well, I mean, you have to know your limits. And generally speaking, if you don't know your limits, eventually life will show them to you. So it's unfortunate in the sense that it had to come to you hitting a wall. And obviously that's that's a metaphor. You didn't like run headfirst into a wall. Big men don't do well at high speeds. It's a sudden stop. I mean, it's rough, but it's... It's part of life, and it sucks because I know exactly how you feel. I get it. I totally understand. And it sucks that I can't do more to help you. If nothing else, I'd like to just chew on your boss a little bit and tell him to take it easy on you. But Well, uh, some of that is not necessarily my boss. Some of that is I'm still learning that role, which means that I have to dedicate more time to it. But as you know, my plate was pretty full, and there's – There's very few things I'm willing to let go of. I'm not willing to let go of my kids' STEM stuff in Flint. I'm not willing to fully let go. I I did let go of a lot of dabble. Uh, We have some pretty awesome people here who just kind of have just make it work. I've become more of a mascot for dabble than an operator. What you're learning is how to delegate. Yeah, and the sustainability stuff I want to do. Edible Landscape Project has started. I wanted my hands in the dirt. I want to go play and clean and weed and and ground myself. And when someone calls wanting to learn about Edible Landscape Project or these political groups that call and want to learn how to do greater than say and all this kind of stuff, I want to be able to do all of it. And I got to a point where it got to be a little much, and it, instead of slowing it down or restructuring i just went to bed <laughs> i just went to bed and took it took some rest well i mean when you're worn out you're worn out and you, you have to take time for yourself the fact of the matter is, is that if you run ragged long enough it, it trashes your immune system you get sick and 
you know, Mike, contrary to popular belief, but we're no spring chickens. And there, there's a song, country song, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. Once is the operative part of that. You can't run like that 24-7 anymore. Your body eventually is going to be like, well, slow down, take a step, and breathe. Well, and you've known me my whole or your whole life. Do Have I ever felt like there's a limitation to what I can accomplish? Have I ever said, oh, I can only do so much? No, no. I just continuously up the bar if I can. Yeah, all right, um, you're right. I have known you my whole life, not your whole life, because, you know, you're a decade older than me. But it, you're, uh, hey, listen, the truth is the truth. <laughs> The fact of the matter is, is your life has, for the most part, been one series of hold my beer moments after the other. You know, you'll, you'll do something. It, sometimes it's crazy. Sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's remarkable. It's miraculous. And then the moment it looks like you might have peaked, that you hit your limit, you're like, eh, hold my beer. And you go do something else and something else. And it's it's just like, boom, boom, boom. But eventually, you got to take a break. I'm not saying you have to stop. I'm not saying you got to, like, go back. You just got to slow down. No, I'm not going to stop. I did stop for a short period of time, but there was a moment where I thought about just dropping all the projects, but that was just a a mental fog. And actually, with some new information popping up this week, it's kind of helped revitalize me. Yes, we've restructured the show and we've done I've done some things to take some things off my plate, but. One of the things I've heard is I was talking to Candace and I'm talking to Mayor Jeff. And one of the projects that we've been kind of pushing on is starting to come to a head that Durand here soon, I think, possibly this year, if not for sure by next year, the downtown space will offer free Wi-Fi that we're, awesome. we're working on. We've got the, we've got some agreements out there. We're getting some quotes because it's uh you still have to pay to have put in the equipment, but the city won't have to pay for a monthly service fee and neither will the residents in this downtown 100 and 200 block space, which I think is exceptionally important because not all, yes, we have a library and they do a heck of a job, but not everybody goes to the library. So not everybody has internet access that's why Dabble has always offered free internet access out even into the parking lot. That's why there's people sitting on the side of the building or sitting in their cars. Even when we're closed, they're applying for jobs. They're paying their bills. They're just utilizing the internet. And we should have a space in our downtown space that offers it. And I found out just a couple of days ago that we are really close to getting that done. That's fantastic. I think that's another thing. Although people don't always connect that to sustainability. I think it's part of building a sustainable community. And once that one's completed, that's going to be a heck of a feather in the cap for this city. Well, as we talked about time and time again, sustainable communities is an intricate part of sustainability because you can't be sustainable without a community working towards the same goals and the same mindset and working forward for progress. So it may not be on its label sustainable, but it is at the same time. Right. Uh, Another thing that you and I were just talking about before we started to record the show is I got into a conversation with the building inspector here in Duran and we got chatting and it kind of fit into an earlier conversation with one of the councilmen who was talking about possibly building like leadership summits. And we decided, eh, let's just find problems and fix them. Let's just look for something that needs to be done, coordinated ourselves and just do it. And what we found was there's an individual in town 
who struggles, who has some assistance in keeping the home, but they're elderly and have some other concerns, but their roof is caving in. And we, you know, just by looking at it, it leaks, you know that it's in rough shape and that it's not going to get better. And this is a two-part thing. In the town, you're always looking to make your town look better, which means we're probably not that far from people complaining. And we're talking about a, a resident who doesn't have the ability to change it. So at, during the conversation yesterday, they started to get excited about the do is greater than say concept. And he just flat out told me I could fix the roof, but it's going to cost a decent amount of money. It's going to be a significant amount of money to fix it. I guarantee trusses need to be fixed or replaced or repaired. And there's all these pieces that have to be involved. And he's like, I really couldn't do it alone. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one thing about communities. You're not supposed to do it alone. So I said, I told him, figure out a quote. And let's say it's $4,000 to fix that section of roof and really repair the whole thing there. Then we can just say, hey, we're looking for some people to help us out. We're looking for 40 people just to, to donate $100 and, and help out and help get this situated. And I can contact small businesses. We can, we can do some things. You know we can get the hands together. That's not oh, a big sure. deal. We can get... Yeah. Overnight, 10 people that can show up and hand, start swinging hammers. That's, we got people. This is, this is a wonderful community. You and I have an amazing friend circle. That's a non-issue. We can get hammers swung. Yeah, the reason is, well, here's the, hold on, let's, let's, let's give the whole, the whole story here. Yes, we have amazingly talented people that are good at building uh, in our friend circle, but that's only because you and I are the destroyers. We're not building a roof, but they need a hole. We can make a hole. And so right. <laughs> we, we make the hole, they fix the hole. It's a beautiful, beautiful relationship. Yeah. So the more we started talking, the more excited he started getting. I said, find a quote, and then we'll start fundraising. We'll, we'll get it figured out. So you may hear on this show me saying if you're in the area or you want to contribute, I may uh, if we can get it to that point, we'll, uh, we'll let everybody know. But it's... It's that is how community is supposed to work. And it's so much fun to watch someone who says, I wish I could do something and then watch them switch that into action. And that kind of, in some case, revitalized me, got me going again. Like, you know what? We're going to, we, we could very easily change someone's life. Someone who struggles with trusting people, who doesn't get out, who stays pretty much on their property, who's very quiet and kind of fears the world around them. It, it's, it's an amazing message when the world around them sees them struggle and helps. And well, I, I think that's going to be pretty damn cool. Well, I, I agree. Oh, my God. Mike swore. Um <laughs> Yes, I think it will be cool, but I also think it'll be it'll be heartwarming and touching. I, I say that because when when elderly people are in the winter of their life, they, oftentimes there's this this window where they're they're far too independent and have way too much mobility and use of their body to not live by themselves. Like they 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 can they can live on their own. They can take care of themselves. But at the same token, as you get older, your ability to bring in income dwindles, and your bills don't. And so if right. he's living, if this man is living um, in a house that he's probably been there for 50 years or 40 years or 30 years, he's been there a long time. I, I don't expect that his family has the funding to help. They probably don't want to put money in this house. They're probably going to get rid of it one day. It's just, it's up to the community if anything's going to get done. And, and that could be, that could be, look at all the fraternities you have in town. You have tons of social circles with, you know, your religious 
areas, churches, stuff like that. You got fraternities like the Eagles. Like I have no doubt, zero doubt that you can pull the funding together. I'm sure there's hundreds of people that'll want to help. Yeah, and that's the kind of community we have. There's just that piece where you identify the problem and then take the action that always seems to fall short. And I think that I think with Nick and Nate, and if we just kind of start identifying these things and then acting on them, others are going to get involved. It's just one of those things that people love to be a part of. And we'll be able to go and look at different things within the community or help small businesses or help individual residents. Another thing is I still want my refill, my water refill stations in the downtown mm-hmm. space. Those are expensive. I still want these things. And I think as a community, we're going to pull it off. We're going to be able to do more as a community than even large organizations or governmental organizations can accomplish. Well, okay. Yeah. So that it goes without saying because large organizations, nonprofits, the government organizations, government bureaus, how are, I don't, I'm, I'm struggling with words today. It's been a very stressful morning, but my point is, is that large groups of people like that are kind of tied by red tape. There's so much bureaucracy to get around in that kind of stuff that, Nothing gets accomplished or very little does for the amount of effort that goes into it versus a community organization that's all locally sourced and locally ran. It's pretty simple. I mean, doesn't mean it's any easier, but it's quicker. If you decide, you know, tomorrow to mount a campaign to get this guy's house fixed in two weeks, you could realistically have the funding secured. Also, I do want to say that people are terrible starters. Most people. But the average person is is always willing to help and be a part of something great. They just either, A, lack the motivation to do it on their own, lack the knowledge, or they just don't have the confidence because the average person doesn't want to set out to do something that they're not going to finish. And so when the community sees someone, like, look at your edible landscaping project, when they, they see the cleanup days and stuff, when you started, there was only a few, but now you have tons of people doing it and they do it on their own. And it's the same thing with every type of community project. You're not going to have a whole lot of people that are going to be quick to start. It takes a special kind of special to, to be that kind of person, a glutton for punishment to be the starter. But once it starts, it's going to spread like hot fire. I mean, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's contagious. You know that 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 I want to be a part of something good, so I'm gonna let's do it. It I think it's gonna be great. Well, and that's the one thing. It doesn't take a lot to start. It really doesn't. And just like the edible landscape project, I was our conversation yesterday. Nate was asking about how that got started, and I jokingly said I asked. Like, it's really not that hard. It's not hard to prepare for something, go in there, get permission, and then do it. It's really not. Well, no, but it is. It is hard. It's hard for the average person because it's not as simple as you just made it sound. Now, you always say that, but you don't tell people the rest of the story where when you went to ask for permission, you already had hundreds of plants growing in your basement ready to go. You already put everything in motion so you could just pull the trigger once you got the okay. That takes a lot of planning. That is hard for people. It may not be hard for you because you are a spreadsheet extraordinaire, but it <laughs> is, it's hard for the average person. It really is. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's a different skill set that the average person has to learn. But a little bit of preparation, a little bit of planning, and asking. No different than I sat at that conference. The Michigan conference was at the Michigan Downtown Association. And it was taken as a joke, and it should have been taken as a joke when I was making those jokes. But 
I was kind of mocking them for inviting us. We literally just put plants in the ground in public spaces and told people they could eat what showed up. And we, it, we ended up in the Argentina Times and Switzerland Times and asked to go to conferences and talk about it. Did you know that someone from the city of Kalamazoo came to Duran, spent the day at the edible landscape, taking a tour around to see the same plants that are in their backyard? Like, it's hilarious to me how simple... <laughs> these things are it's it is simple but just because it's simple doesn't mean it's not profound you're underestimating how selfish the rest of the world is what you guys did was did something completely selfless and that is strange to the average the average city the average town you can say it's not and you can believe that the world is a better place than it is but it's ran by people and people often suck if left left for their own devices now i i I noticed i said people as a group not a single single individuals oftentimes are amazing but you have seen more than anyone how fast negativity will spread in a small town when it's not checked by logic and reason yeah but i think when you give people the opportunity to do something pretty good to do something pretty darn cool people take that opportunity now some cautiously watch from a distance to see if it's real or if it's if it's really going to happen and am i being tricked into something that's going to be not helpful but once it happens and starts to go i think giving people that opportunity will surprise you in how they react i have a lot of faith in public obviously but i've also seen a lot of amazing things from the public and i i think that's a beautiful thing and i don't want anyone to take this the wrong way i'm not a pessimist i don't think the world is a disgusting place i don't think people are terrible i just i know how fast negativity and pessimism spreads and i know that all it takes is one really charismatic negative person to derail positive momentum and people at least in my industry, are always quicker to complain than they are to compliment. And I feel like that's kind of an unofficial universal rule. It's easier to bitch than it is to talk about great things and stuff like that. And yes, I swore too, we're one-on-one. So when you see this kind of stuff, like it is a great snapshot of what, what the human spirit is capable of. And I think it's wonderful. And I, I think that when you have, especially places like Switzerland and other countries that are doing exposés on it, Hey, it's hey look, these Americans aren't selfish. This is amazing. But it's because we don't we don't have a great <laughs> a great representation over in some of these other countries, especially the European ones. Well, it, and shortly here we'll have to actually start the show, but I think that people are inherently good. It is environmental and situational that changes that. That we create an environment where people must be more negative and or cutthroat to succeed or survive that that on a common ground with all basic needs met people are generally inherently good and would do good things. Well, I agree. And I also, but I also think that there's a a mentality that you raise that you have to put yourself first to get ahead in life. And in some areas that's true. People take it the wrong way. Really what it means is you have to take, you have to take care of yourself. You have to protect yourself, but you also have to understand as an individual, what your flaws are and where you're susceptible to failure. That's really what that means. It's not, it's not this wolf of wall street mentality that people tend to inherit because of it. But where that boils down to is that the average person is more skeptical about change and they do watch from a distance because they don't really want to be part of it if it's just going to fail no one wants to be on the sinking ship willingly 
So yeah. they, they watch to make sure it's going to float. And then, oh, I guess there's room for me too. And the next thing is some of those people, once they turn that switch, become the most amazing spectacular volunteers that have the greatest ideas or maybe they're really great at gathering people maybe they are the fulcrum for a whole nother group of people that well bob's doing it so i'm gonna go give it a shot or john's there and he's he's no pushover so if he thinks it's a good idea maybe i should give it a shake blah 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 it just it takes time and it takes it's one of those do's do's better than say things people see you doing it sets the example they watch it happen even if it's for a little bit of time so they're sure it's a good thing and it's continuing that they include themselves. Yeah. I, I believe that if we can continue to find concerns with a small group of people and work to solving them, that network will get larger and larger and larger to the point where there won't be a single thing we can't solve in this community. Mm-hmm. So anyways, my rant aside, my apologies aside, all that stuff aside, we had a unique contact not horribly long ago that got us talking. We had a company reach out to us from the UK. They put a bug in our ear for sure. They certainly did. And it was all about bug-based proteins or bug-based foods for humans. And internally, it started a fun conversation because I did not expect. I went to you. I went to Bogan. I went to Jameson. I'm like, hey, these people would like to come on. And we were talking about, like, should we try it, too? Should we try the food, too? And there was no hesitation by any of you. All all immediately, heck yes, absolutely, I'm in. And I'm like, am I the only one here who's hesitant on insect-based foods? Yeah, you have the the palate of a four-year-old. I do. It's much better. Jamie makes me try a lot of things. It's usually regional. Then when we travel, she makes me try what we're at, the things that we're at. But I, I purposely don't go to Louisiana because I don't like the broadad-based meals that you have down there. Okay, the... you better pump your brakes on, on Cajun cuisine. <laughs> don't go offending me this early in the morning. <laughs> so that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about... Uncle Mike hates flavor. Uh, well, heavy spice. Yes, absolutely. I want to talk about insect-based foods because this is a thing. This is something that actually could greatly help climate change. Getting a lot more beef out of the diet, having different farming techniques. It's a heck of a lot easier to raise crickets than it is cows. And I mean, it's not just you're getting a chunk of cricket to eat. They have powders. They create flowers that are protein-based out of them. They create oils. It's not so you can cook with these proteins and not necessarily have a chocolate-covered cricket or grasshopper, but it was like a wow moment to me when Yumbug sent their website and all these things. It was so foreign (laughs) to me. And then you guys are all like, oh, dude, I'm in. Can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. What the heck? Well, I'm opening to try new things. I'm, I'm always open to try something new, and I am not opposed to the idea of alternatives for proteins and stuff like that but on the flip side i I guess where i'm going with this is if we're going to have a guest on the show we're going to talk about people talk to people that want to talk about sustainable things let's let's do something that that actually makes a difference or talk to a company who's doing something unique why not i don't think i'm ever going to be the person who completely abandons 
traditional proteins and only eats the bug stuff. I don't think that's ever going to happen. However, do I think that it could definitely, oh God, supplement. That's the word. It could supplement your diet. Do I think that it could help you focus? And to be honest, they're so high in protein, you can actually eat healthier. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of positive side effects from doing it. But we won't know until we know, and you'll never know if you don't try it. So let's try it. Let's do it. Let's give it yeah, a shot. I was I started reading on this. It is far, far healthier, far healthier than the normal American diet. Like it is amazingly different. Now, for anybody who's a little confused here, we were contacted by Yumbug from Yumbug.com in the UK. If you get an opportunity, go on the site, take a look at it. It looks delicious. Now, I may not be super excited about all the puns throughout the site, but I think that eating insect-based proteins have an opportunity. I'm not sure I like having the words constantly, like, where can I find my grub as a pun? (laughs) You know, so, but well done. And we we didn't get them booked. They ended up on a bunch of TV shows. They've been very busy. At some point, we'll get them over here, but. I still think, and then was it Jameson said she wanted to hold a game show afterwards where we purchase some of their insect-based meats and then have you cook them up next to others and, and, and we play Is It Crickets based so, on what we're eating? I'd, I'm willing to do that on, one, on a number of conditions. I will do it, but we, we have to, yeah. So I'll, I will do that. But I'm going to explain after we reveal what they are and what I actually think of them. I don't, kind of stepping into plant-based, I don't like plant-based meat. I think it's disgusting. However, with that being said, cricket-based meat might work. I'm not really sure. I mean, I you know my idea of eating crickets my entire life has always been chocolate-covered bugs, right. um, which actually aren't terrible, and it's got a nice crunch. I would believe that going to the health side of it, a, a cricket or insect rich diet has got to be something similar to a shellfish based diet. Cause essentially most shellfish are like bugs of the sea anyways. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine that it's, it's, it's all that different as far as nutritional facts. Now I will say the person in me who loves living creatures has a hard time rationalizing, raising and killing millions of bugs in place of one cow. Still takes less water and less food to do so that's irrelevant to me. I mean, in this, in this capacity resources, fine talking about the, the notion of, of all those creatures that are alive and then they're dead versus mm. one cow. It's the same thing with that one documentary I watched where they talk about, they could raise hundreds of chickens a year, or they could kill whales one month and it, it feeds them the entire year. So it's, you know, six in one hand, half dozen in the other. But I, I'm definitely open to try it. I'm open to see what they got, what their what their offerings are. I was hoping they send us some samples so we could give it a shot. I know it's over in the UK, but why not, man? I love that Rob and Jamie are both on board. Oh, they were excited. Like so, I did I I was not explain you know who wasn't excited? My kids. None of them. None of them accepted the offer. My my daughter just kept yelling ooh until she ran out of the room. Grayson kept saying, I think you said food wrong. And Aiden <laughs> just left. He just turned around, shook his head, and walked out of the room. So there's a there's a distinct distinct difference between how the kids reacted and how the adults reacted. But we're talking crickets, ants, grasshoppers, beetles, worms, all these used to make something. Now, what I saw from Yumbug was they actually made like fajita strips. 
that are being served in restaurants. They have a protein powder that gets mixed into certain things. They use for there's a bunch of different ways to make it work. And it's one of those things that if it catched on, if it catches on, will greatly help climate change because as much as you love big ag, it would greatly reduce the need for consumption from those industries and maybe even help us go regional. I would like to note to anyone listening that doesn't have the time to listen to our old episodes by me loving big ag, he's being sarcastic because I despise it. (laughs) And this is kind of a shot against him when you can have a much higher protein base. So it's, can they make it delicious? Can they make it at least as good? And if they can, kind of a game changer. So here's the thing, and it's the same thing I'm going to say when it comes to to vegan diets and stuff. They need to stop trying to make it as good, like comparable, and start trying to find ways to make it delicious on its own. You need to get people okay with the idea of of consuming it. Yeah, that's true. But like, you're never going to sell me on plant-based chicken or bug-based chicken. There's no world where I'm going to be okay with that. You can't do it at least not with the current technology. Let's find ways to actually make it delicious on its own to kind of, at least for me, because I like the natural side of it. Like I like the idea of it. Now, does that mean that I'm looking forward to chomping on tarantulas? No, it doesn't. And I also know before anyone gets all on their high horse, I know that arachnids are not bugs, but I'm willing to give it a shot to see where we can go with it. And I definitely, like you guys had me at the game. I think the game's going to be awesome. I think it'll be a lot of fun. We have to record it. Like with actual cameras, I'll get with Rob. We'll figure out how to do it so it looks real nice. And the kids have to play. <laughs> Good luck. It, that that will take some work. But we'll pay them. In my research, you're already eating bugs every day. Yeah. You really not, are. But not knowingly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's the thing. You're already eating large quantities of insect pieces in your foods. <laughs> already every day here in the united states so the average person doesn't know that all all food companies that are subject to like fda and stuff there are is a uh, there's an acceptable amount of parts per million Mm -hmm. for cockroaches and flies in any type of insect piece for anything that you buy pre-made and so it's it's gross but it's true it's not even just insects and by the way it's in my book so the Beginner's Guide to Green Your Life has a section about what you're already eating. But for an example, 4 to 6% of coffee beans by count mm-hmm. are filled with either insect, insect pieces, mold, or uh, rat feces. Mm-hmm. There's black pepper can have up to, up to 40 insect pieces. So that's not a size. That's just pieces of an insect at any size mm-hmm. per tablespoon. Yeah, that makes sense. Per tablespoon. You know what that makes me want to do? I have a uh, an excellent electric microscope. It makes me want to pour the pepper out and start investigating. And I just might. Heat it butter. One to two rat hairs and up to 30 insect fragments per three and a half ounces. Yeah, the best part about this is that these these like statistics, these numbers, these requirements are impossible to test for. So like they're saying, this is what we're allowing, but they have no way to control for it. 
I mean, like, so really what they're saying is we clean this place as good as we can. It's not good enough, but it's not going to kill anybody. You can find 30 or more pieces or fragments of insect in a dark chocolate bar. Yeah. Like, we're already eating it. (laughs) We just, it's just, it's not on the ingredients list. It's got to be whatever the smallest amount is that keeps you off the ingredients list. So we're already doing it because of warehousing. We're already doing it because of mass production. If switching it over may not be as challenging as we thought once everybody realizes they're consuming probably a pound every month or two (laughs) or every year, maybe, let's say, of insects already. I mean, I don't necessarily know if if revealing that information is going to work out in the favor (laughs) like you seem to think it will. I think most people are going to be grossed out. Actually, I guarantee it's disgusting. It's gross. And a couple of days will go by and they'll forget about it and they'll never occur to them again. It's the same thing with, you know how many spiders you swallow in your sleep throughout your life? Okay. You want to eat a spider? No. Okay. So it's, it will see. I mean... I, I personally, I'm not surprised, but I also know all that information already. Like it's just <laughs> because there's, there's a lot. I mean, if you're going to buy prepackaged food that comes in, it comes from a giant factory that literally produces thousands and thousands of units a day, things are going to happen. Things are going to get slipped and it's going to, it's just going to happen. It's disgusting. Yes. Is it a problem? Yeah, sure. But then again, so is commercial food production. So that's a whole other category we can talk about. And so if we're going to talk about the willingness to knowingly eat bugs, I think we should do it in the sense that lean to more towards the powders and the bread mixes and, and, and get away from the consumption of a whole insect. Because if you, really it's the, the notion, the crunch, the, the, the aesthetic of, of seeing the bug before you consume it, that's going to turn people away from it. But if you take those crickets and you grind them up, make a flour out of it, and then you make you bake bread with it, you're like, hey, this bread's made with crickets. Oh, okay. Well, it's not bad, and they're good. People are going to be more open-minded about it, or at least yeah. give them the chance to say yes or no, without getting that guttural, disgusted response. Well, and it's not necessarily all that uncommon in the rest of the world. Just a, I pulled just a handful of places, Mexico. There are certain regions in Mexico where uh, eggs drenched in butter or chocolate with locusts mix into it or candy coated worms or or tequila with a worm are all common you know and and available well mexico's mexico's kind of close to us but i mean that's actually not that good of an example most underdeveloped second third world countries like tribal countries areas like that it's a huge part of their diet yeah like Uh, i have ghana on here so most of rural africa termites are a major part 60 percent of their protein diet well, and, and look at, okay, so here's, this is going to sound kind of uh, out there, but like, have you ever seen little teeny tiny ants, sugar ants in your house? Sugar ants? I'm not sure what they are. I've seen ants in my home. So sugar ants are the teeny tiny itty bitty little ants that you generally see at the start of spring, like when the ground starts to thaw. They're the ones that have the more of the sandier nest closest to your house. They come in through the cracks and stuff, usually by your sink or by, if you like, spill some Kool-Aid or something the next day, you'll have a ton of them on it. If you kill those, like if you crush them with your hand, they have a ridiculously pungent, strong citrus smell. They smell delicious. I obviously haven't eaten them, but I've I've thought about it. They smell amazing. Like they, 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 I almost said the F word. I'm sorry, but they smell is out of this world. How appetizing those bugs 
smell when you when, when they're dead. Not that I ever like did it on purpose. You know, you just oh here's an ant. You know, like most you know humans playing God, mm-hmm. and then I smell my hand. I'm like oh my gosh, it's like, it's like killing a stink bug, but not. And there's lots of lots of countries, and I, I can't remember the name of it. But in in the first or second season of Chef's Table on Netflix, one of the the people that they do the the documentary on goes all over Africa and other countries. Because I mean, I was I don't know what countries in Africa he goes through, but I know he goes through most of the continent. And he comes across this lady that's making these amazing foods. And he's like, where did you get lemon out here? Where did you get this? Where did you get that? And she says, it's in the ants. And she collects this massive bowl of ants. I mean, and they're big. They, they look like those like the, like those murder ant things. Like they're huge. They're, they're some of the biggest ants I've ever seen. But she gets hundreds of them. And she crushes them into a powder. And whatever they eat, whatever their diet is, gives them this this fragrant citrus flavor that she uses in dishes to give aspects of it on like a flavor profile that otherwise she would have no way of having. And it's it's really cool. I mean, it really is the idea of it. So I'm not opposed to eating bugs at all. I'm just opposed to doing something gross for the sake of doing it. I want it to be yummy. Yeah, this I'm not looking to be fear factor, okay? I'm not looking to just grab random things that are going to make my brain hemorrhage and then bite into it. But as you're talking about that, that was not the first time I've heard that. There was, and I didn't write it down, I was scouring over my sheet, but there is a culture that would take, and I, I can't remember if it's crickets or what, I, I think it was an ant, and chocolate coat them. And it was because when you ate them, they had a flavor of mint. And chocolate coating mint is very common as two comparable flavors that go together. So having an insect that has some kind of mint flavoring to them literally just makes, I mean, it's like a Girl Scout Fen Mint. It's just (laughs) chocolate-covered mint. And I was unaware that insects pulled flavors like that. It must be based on their diet. It's something they're eating that creates that. Well, I think that, okay, so I'm not really sure, but this is my theory on that. I think that part of the thing about with the notion of eating insects is is a unique opportunity to, oh God, I'm going to sound like I'm making a case for this. Okay, when you eat a cow or you eat a chicken, you very rarely eat the whole thing. You just eat like the muscles or you use the bones to make soup. Now, I can tell you that if you eat a piece of chicken, it doesn't taste like the broth you make when you boil the bones for soup. With the insect, you're getting the entire thing at once. So you're literally, I'm, I'm talking, it's nervous system, it's exoskeleton, whatever waste it has. It's like, boom, everything at once. Because you can't really clean an ant ever. With that being said, that probably elicits a different flavor profile than we we would be used to having and then so when you combine that idea that you get to eat everything on the animal or the bug with whatever its diet is yeah i mean it could be something like a mint flavor or a lemon flavor or i mean there's it, the possibilities really are kind of endless with it and i bet you it probably just depends on what they eat regularly well and the things i say on here i'm just googling but in thailand there's bars that they don't offer pretzels and peanuts but they offered fried ants grasshoppers and crickets and worms that you just they're dried up after frying them, and that's the snack that's there. The Netherlands did ground mealworms in, in their chocolate. That's not a common thing. That's a small group trying to make that popular, creating a higher protein treat. And then even in the United States, we had novelty items and gag gifts that were chocolate-covered grasshoppers. I mean, it's not necessarily really far-fetched 
to utilize that protein source. Like you were saying, in some under, underdeveloped nations, it's a primary staple. But the more I look into it, the more interested I am because, A, flowers and powders. Think about when I was in my 20s playing sports and was really working out and you're, you're taking protein shakes and all these. They could have done it way easier and probably mm-hmm. way cheaper <laughs> to, to use a cricket-based protein. Oh, for sure. And also, you got to keep in mind that we already, as part of our daily diet, we already consume a lot of things that, when you really think about it objectively, kind of sound gross. Like, I love chicken, but when you think about what an egg is, Mm -hmm. that's disgusting. Oh, in other countries, some other countries probably believe it is. That's different cultures, different items, things that others eat. When I was in Italy, I was shocked to see in the meat counter where they sold horse. Mm -hmm. So each place is a little bit different, but this, this could be, this could be common. This could become common quite easily and be a huge benefit against climate change. Like really quite a big benefit if it became a general staple that helped us reduce big ag, helped us reduce farmland usage. I mean, shoot. I mean, I don't know how they're turning it into flour. I'm sure it's a mix of some kind, but we get to use less of other things and more of something like this. Plus insects breed very quickly. It's a fast turnaround and much easier to contain. And it has a ton of benefits. My brain doesn't put me in the right spot yet to say, because I'm, I'm looking at yum bug and the food, the food looks delicious, but I'm still saying it's a bug and I haven't quite made it past that. That's why I wanted the, us to try it and go through some of that, get it at its best kind of thing. Yeah, I'm 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 not opposed to trying it. I mean, you got to figure like in all different cultures, but even even in like you know, classic French cuisine, escargot or snails. I mean, you can't tell me it's mm-hmm. okay to eat snails but not bugs. And right. um, it's I just think that it's more of the stigma, the idea of eating bugs. That's why I said if you look at food objectively, it's it's really easy to to step out of the stigma and and look at the. I'm sorry, step out of the comfort of it and look at look at the objective stance out of like you're eating an unborn, unfertilized chicken embryo. Like it's not an embryo per se, but it's everything needed to make the chicken almost. But you're going to eat that or you're going to cook it and eat it. So why is the bug so different? Like ants over there, talk about chocolate covered crickets. It's something that it's actually like kind of a lot of people have done for years. And you say gag gifts. It's more of a high-end yuppie thing than it is anything else. And also, like, caviar. Oh, my gosh. Right. Like, raw fish eggs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think but, it just has to be a change in mentality. Or And I, I think you're right, using it for protein powders and oils and things like that that you really don't tell the difference on is a nice step. It's a transition. In that direction. Thing. Yep. Because as I was looking here, global markets on edible insects are expected to jump 26% per year until they hit $4.6 billion by 2027. Yeah. And that's jumping up to 1.4 million tons of edible insects. Yeah. So So it's getting bigger. Well, it's going to get bigger because what's going to happen is as things progress, it's going to start with the powders. There has started with the powders and stuff like that. And then as things progress, you'll see different 
people in different industries, chefs getting involved, trying to find recipes and ways to make these things appealing and delicious. Then you're going to start to see the transition from big agriculture. If it is successful, we'll maybe start developing ways to breed them to be bigger, to do more things with them. Like there's this industry is is barely in its infancy. It's 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 not even like close to getting anywhere near where it's going to go. Right. And so, I don't know. I think it's a fun conversation. I think it's very interesting going forward. On a sustainability side, almost necessary. Mm-hmm. It, it is almost necessary on a sustainability side because we have some big problems. How we eat is one of them. Transportation and our energy are three legs of the sustainability problem that are massive. And this is a solution to be able to maintain a quality of life, a high protein diet without doing what we're already doing. So I don't know. It's, I wanted to kind of run through this a little bit. I hope that we get an opportunity to dig into it more and be able to bring in some of the experts and some of the people who've experienced this. And, and if we end up with a bunch of insect-based foods, our chef will put it together and we'll play Is It Crickets? Oh, I'm super excited to do that. I can't wait. <laughs> so I need to move us over to a close. I know this was kind of a half and half show. We just kind of ranted the first half and discussed and talked the first half. And the second half was all about our insects. But I think in all in all, it is fun. It is it's a good show and it has a good message. So a couple of things before I close this out. Remember, we have realistic sustainability merch as I'm wearing a do is greater than say t-shirt currently, but we also have the really cool Aaron cups. And for those of us who would rather get into a sweepstakes to try and get one of the cups, anybody who joins the Patreon this month for any dollar, for as low as a dollar a month, you can join the realistic sustainability Patreon. And for every dollar that you choose per month, you'll get a drawing to get one of Rise and Sparkle by Aaron do is greater than say wood grain style cups with a, a cup with a matching ink pen. So or or a little bit, little bit, big bit. Let's be honest. That's the that's the big treasure here. Okay, that is the better <laughs> of the two because it's awesome, and I'm a big guy, so it's the cup I like. <laughs> so well, by the way, we have those T-shirts also on there. But join the Patreon. Get an opportunity, and we at the end of the month we'll draw the winner and ship it out to you. So we appreciate everybody's support, and even in the ups and downs of trying to figure this stuff out. Like I said in the last episode, Nick and I are not professionals. We no. do this because we enjoy doing this, and there's going to be some times where we have to step aside or we have to slow down. And right now, at least for the summer, we're going to slow down a little bit. And then as things level out, maybe we'll speed it back up. But please keep in mind, we are certainly not professionals. We we do this because we enjoy it. I'm recording in a basement, and it looks like Nick is recording in his living room where we we don't work for Warner Brothers in a studio or any of that fun stuff. So all of you, thank you for dealing with our ups and downs and, and how we have to flow to keep this show going. And for all of the supporters, either through Patreon or through the Anchor site, anybody who supports us in any way, just by sharing the shows or talking about this stuff, or those trying to get kindness projects spurred up in their communities, all of this, all of this, thank you. We greatly appreciate it. One of the coolest parts of meeting Yumbug 
representatives was the fact that they were talking about how very often in their production floor, realistic sustainability is playing over the speaker. And those are the kinds of things that really kind of humbles. And I'm honored, and I know Nick is too, of how much people enjoy some of these things. So thank you, everybody out there. Thank you so very much. And remember, we're just trying to get a little better. Even though I kind of had a hiccup there, I think it is helping me get a little bit better, just like the rest of us. Little bit, little bit, big bit. Thank you so very much. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. 